0: You say you're writing a screenplay now. Um, What's what's that about? Um, Well, it's an allegory about the existence of the material mind. Mm -hmm. It's a fairy tale. It's called The Prison. And um, it has to do with uh, man being the... uh, Man believing that his consciousness is formed from the sum of his observable data. Mm Mm-hmm and uh, how indeed that isn't true and where consciousness originates and it's all told in kind of a fairy tale story form built loosely around the allegory of a prison and a man who escapes from it. And um, have you got a director or anyone yet or is it too early? to? Well I don't even have a screenplay yet. (laughs) Uh, We just finished uh, what I have now is a medium that doesn't exist. I have a short story with some songs to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the short story's finished, and uh, now we'll start writing the screenplay and, and then uh, finish up the songs, and we'll just go from there each step as it unfolds. Well, Where's that sound
1: coming from? from? Coming from. This stuff from. Hello and welcome to the Where's That Sound Coming From podcast. My name is Brian. The following is a very special episode of Where's That Sound Coming From, and the reason why is that this past spring I was granted an interview with none other than Mr. Michael Nesmith. A two hour conversation during which we focused on his 1974 concept album, or in correct terms, book with a soundtrack. The Prison. Full disclosure, I plan to use the relevant parts of this interview as one of the many sources for a long-form piece that I'm chipping away at on the subject of the prison and Nesmith's life and career around that time, why this fascinating, dark, yet spiritual, transitional phase of his life is so often skipped over when telling his story, and how at odds the prison was, on a few levels, to what was going on in the lives and careers of his musical contemporaries. So I'll say now that the contents of this interview are property of Brian Marchese and the Where's That Sound Coming From podcast, while obviously the sound bites and such are not. You may laugh when you hear me tell Nez at the start of this interview that I wasn't planning to turn it into a podcast, to which he replies that it's fine if I do. So I'll right now apologize for inadvertently lying to Nez. But he himself later in the interview refers to himself as a uh, quote, one of the world's great liars. And as I'm telling you this, I'm also realizing that that part of the interview actually won't be included here because it was at a point during which we had veered way off track and he was talking about uh, intentionally lying to journalists about monkeys' record sales just to see if any of them would bother to fact check. But hey, neither lie will get us subpoenaed to appear in front of Congress, so I think we're cool. Let me quickly, or maybe not so quickly, tell you a few factors that made me change my mind and turn the interview into a podcast. One was reading about and listening to the recently released and very worth hearing deluxe reissue of Gene Clark's 1974 album, No Other. I wish I had mentioned Gene Clark when name-checking Nez's contemporaries who were also navigating through some rough waters around 1974, especially since, like Nez, Clark relocated from Southern to Northern California around that time, and the songs on No Other, like The Prison, were a result of an extended, solitary period of looking within. Also, David Geffen was a villainous character in each of their stories around this time. But I won't get into that here. But in seeing how nice-looking and sounding the Gene Clark No Other Deluxe set is, I once again thought, man, someone's got to do this with the original version of The Prison. Maybe this podcast will start a groundswell. As you may know, The Prison has only been digitally released in its retouched version from a decade or two ago, which, while I understand why Nez wanted to fix it up, I personally don't enjoy it, nor think it suits the vibe of the album. As I tell Nez, the story is best told when it evokes the tripped-out, woolly, truth-seeking Nez living among hippie yogis in 1973-74. Not the matured, well-groomed, wizened, successful businessman Nez of the 90s. So that was one impetus. The other was listening to a more recent interview that Nez did, a great interview I might add, for a podcast called Deeper Digs in Rock, which is part of a rock podcast network called Pantheon Podcasts, which I'm only just becoming aware of, but which I think might be a place that I'd like to visit much more often. Like-minded, academic rock history nerds. Anyway, this was a great interview that I recommend you seek out, and uh, it was funny to hear Nez in that interview bring up the subject of hypnagogia, as you'll hear he also does in my interview. What's hypnagogia, you may be asking? Listen and you'll find out, and you'll never forget again. Or as he told me, you might want to do some work in your dictionaries. But the thing that finally spurred me to publish my interview as a podcast was hearing, once again, Nez's story, Skip From, Country Rock Pioneer. So up until 1973, right to 1976, and the video for Rio birthing the idea for what would eventually become MTV. So yeah, that's basically three unaccounted-for years. So I guess I found some unsettled land. And finally, have you heard the just-released Nez album Cosmic Partners, out now on 7A Records and available for streaming on Spotify and Apple Music? And no, I'm not shilling for Nez or 7A Records. But if you haven't checked it out, have a listen, it's great. It was recorded in August 1973 in front of an intimate audience at McCabe's Guitar Shop in Santa Monica, California. And so now we have officially released live NES shows recorded in 1973 Cosmic Partners, 1974 The Zigzag Concert, and 1975 The BBC Concert. Those are, of course, the three years I'm focusing on and it's interesting judging from the between-song banter to mark the change in Nez during this period of intense transition. Of course, the songs, his singing and playing, are wonderful in each recording, but in 1973, there's not a trace of philosophical talk. It's all goofy jokes, druggy humor, and a surprisingly long and affectionate remembrance of monkey mania. Six months later, headlining the Zigzag concert at the Roundhouse in London, he's begun to undergo a change and is eager to tell the audience all about it, using the arc of the setlist to explain to them the parallel arc in his way of thinking. From the subject-object love of his early songs, to becoming aware in the grand ennui that boredom and fear are two negative, dark things that are taking up too much space in his life and realizing that running from their dark energy is not going to get him anywhere but lost, to roll with the flow, in which he's begun to arrive at a more workable philosophy, and ending with the not-yet-released Marie's theme, which introduces a new, enlightened way of thinking. And you can just imagine the audience stumbling into the London streets after eight hours of music, thinking, hidden behind all the logic one finds without truth? What the bloody hell's he on about? Fuck it, I'm dying for kebab. Finally, in 1975, he's completed the prison, and is playing it for audiences and preaching universal love, everyone being of one mind, and other concepts that no doubt divided his audience. Most probably thought, I love the songs, why is he making me think? I just wanted to go to a concert. Well, I'd guess a smaller percentage were willing to get on the same trip Nez was on, I know that personally I too was like the majority up until relatively recently. But once I began identifying with the prison, I indeed wanted to if not adopt all the same beliefs, at least understand as much as possible so I could form a more educated opinion. In Ram Dass-speak, one could say that in the course of his transition, Nez went from identifying with his ego to identifying with his soul, or his true nature. But really, what happened between 1973 and 1976? For those who care to find out, well, first, I say, read chapter 8 of Nez's memoir, Infinite Tuesday. For me, as I tell him, that was the biggest revelation, since that part of his history was, until he published the book, a big blank. I won't give too much away because you should read Infinite Tuesday if you haven't, but basically, sometime in late 73, finding himself heavily indebted to the IRS, newly divorced, and newly without a record contract, he joined a group of traveling hippie yogis who encouraged him to study books like the Bhagavad Gita. Ram Dass's Be Here Now, and other relevant texts. Cannabis and hallucinogens were also a big part of this lifestyle. The hippie yogi commune led him to follow and spend substantial time with Baba Hari Das, or Babaji, the Indian yoga master and uh, Hindu monk, who had taken a vow of silence in 1952, which he did not break up until the day he passed in September of 2018. It was during this time that the concept for the prison took shape. Nez had been raised on, but had initially rejected Christian Science, the religion founded by Mary Baker Eddy in the late 19th century in Boston, Massachusetts. But while his head was full of acid and Eastern religion, he found himself compelled to re-examine Eddy's book, Science and Health, and found that it was ringing true for him, and wasn't incompatible with the other spiritual texts he'd been studying. And one can see that the concepts found in the prison seem to blend all these spiritual teachings be them the buddhas ram Dassas, or mary baker eddie's but in his own words and story and you'll hear in the interview these are all beliefs that he still lives by nez recorded the prison just before his countryside studio was closed down and he released the album through mail order on pacific arts records the label that he and his new wife Catherine started. But again, especially in the US, another Nesmith release was largely ignored by the public and multimedia performances panned by the press. While the creation of the prison was fueled by weed and acid, by the time of its release, Nez had fully embraced Christian science, had quit all substances, and interviews found him to be both impenetrable and somewhat condescending to the understandably puzzled interviewers who challenged his proclamations or asked for clarification, and who didn't understand why he was now totally turning his back on and distancing himself from the music scene, particularly the now huge country rock scene which he had laid the foundation for. What you're about to hear is an amazing interview in which Nez is in fine form and, and reveals so much more than I expected. Also, while I only requested a one-hour interview, We went on for two solid hours. But talk veered away several times from the prison due to both our tendencies to free associate. Anyway, I've edited this interview so that the subject never strays that far from the prison, cannabis, and metaphysics. I'll cop now to being about as nervous as I'd ever been during the first half of this interview, and indeed I sound like an unprepared 8th grader giving a book report. Nez sounded very relaxed and friendly, and I'm sure he was trying to chill me out across the miles. But I'll admit to being pretty embarrassed of my halting delivery, and I sincerely apologize for it. And on one last related note, since Timothy Leary and Ram Dass figure in each other's stories, when Nez says, in the course of the interview, find the others, and then uh, can't think of who to attribute that quote to, um... Well, I looked it up and the answer is Timothy Leary. Find the others. See? Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, Michael Nesmith. It's really not that strange that I recognized Nez as a psychedelic guru earlier on in my life. Okay, so without further ado, what you'll hear first to set the stage is Nez in 1975, taken from the BBC concert released a couple years ago by Ian Lee's 7A Records. The prison takes place in a
0: prison, it's odd, and it um, has as its primary lead figure, the protagonist, Jason, and he finds a hole in the west wall of the prison, which is apparently unattended, and he decides that he wants to go through it, but he is entreated to not do so by his lady friend, Marie, with whom he later falls in love, who says, look, that hole is just there as a trap to entice troublemakers into Uh, annihilation more or less and Jason's curiosity gets the best of him and he says well so much for that I'm gonna go out I gotta find out what's on the other side of the wall and besides that the prison is reasonably groovy but um, I would like to have access to some other information so he wanders through the hole in the wall and the only thing that greets him is darkness and midst and uh, Um, Disorientation finally loses his way and he can't find his way back to the prison and so he's stuck in the middle of a black void and during that time a song begins to play in the background called Dance Between the Raindrops. So the light begins to dawn on Jason, and he's met outside by a guy named Tom, who turns out to be his guide. And Tom says, hey, how you doing? And Jason says, who are you? And Tom says, well, I came from the prison myself. I'm your guide. I'm here to help you through a bad time. If it's bad to you, if it's not, it'll be good in a minute, uh, even better than it is now. So um, Jason says, well, um, where am I? Tom says, paradise. And Jason says, well, that's pretty interesting. I've always wanted to go to paradise. Um, How did I get here? And Tom said, well, why don't you come back with me to the cabin? I'll explain everything to you. So he goes back to the cabin, and he explains to Jason more or less that uh, Jason has uh, been involved in a uh, set of sense coordinates that have kept him bound in finite reasoning and that he has now come on the other side of that. And Jason says, well, that sounds terrific. Uh, I'd like to uh, know more about that because I don't have the first idea of what you're talking about. (laughs) And Tom says, well, it takes a little while to catch on. And uh, Jason says, boy, I'll say, maybe I should go back to the prison and see my friend. Tom says, well, maybe you should go back to the prison. I think you'll be real interested in what you'll see from out here. So they traips over the hill and they go back to the prison. And there in the middle of the valley are little beds lined up all neatly in a row. And there are people walking around the kitchen table off to one side and the inmates in solitary confinement standing not six feet away from each other except there are no walls. No walls anywhere. It's not a prison. And Jason says, well, far out. And Tom says, "Yep, yeah, it's only a prison from the inside, pal. Once you're through, it ain't a prison anymore. And Jason says, well, I'm going to go back and tell Marie. This is the greatest piece of information I've ever had in my life. And goes back into the prison to get Marie. And he says, hey, Marie, I got the greatest thing to tell you. You're free. There's no prison. And Marie says, well, that's it. You went through the hole. You lost your cookies. <laughs> Everybody does it. You go a little nuts. You go out there. You're, uh, you're now you're crazy. And Jason says, no, if you'll just come through the prison, this, wall, this hole in the wall with me, you'll see. So uh, she says, all right, well, I'll try it since I love you very much. Jason says, well, terrific. So they go out, <laughs> and um, they stand outside the prison wall. Marie has a bad time in the midst and the darkness, although it's clear as a bell to Jason. And uh, the next morning, Jason says, well, look, there you see, no prison. Marie says, uh-uh. And he says, what do you mean, uh-uh? She says, well, I don't see it. looks like a prison to me. I mean, sort of looks like a prison. Sometimes it looks like a prison, sometimes not. But I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, there's a prison. And Jason hadn't counted on that. And he says, well, that's a drag you mean to tell me that I can see that there's no prison, but you're still seeing that there is a prison? I mean, Tom told me that from outside the prison there was uh, no more prison. I don't. something's cockeyed here. And Marie says, look, Jason. I think you're a little squirrely, pal. Why don't you come back with me into the prison? Uh, since there's no prison to you, ha, 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 then you'll be real happy where we are inside the prison. Jason begins to uh, catch on to something, and he says, You know, I think, I think what I've done is uh, maybe created a funny little thing here with my subject object desire trip love I've got happening for you. And he starts to get into a place where he realizes that uh, this love that he's got for Marie is darkly rooted in selfishness and desire. And that really it's not the kind of love that he would be in and a place that he would hang out. But as a matter of fact, it was a sort of love that he did to somebody else. He begins to realize he doesn't have to have Marie around to love or anybody. It's just a state of consciousness for him. Marie ain't buying it. She says, I'm going back. That's it for you later. Real sad parting, although Jason's pretty cool behind the whole thing. And while all this is going on, there is a song playing in the background called Marie's Theme, which bespeaks tenderly of their parting goodbyes and also assures both of them that they're going to be okay since they are anyway. Without truth, hidden behind all the logic one finds without truth. And then that refrain repeats on the record about 637,000 times over and over and over and over again like the last one did. Anyway, back to Jason and Marie and all that stuff going on in the prison. Jason finally is beginning to grok on some level the fact that uh, he and Marie um, uh, have got a different place they can share and that being in love is a state of consciousness that he can enjoy without having to get stuck on the object he has begun to believe was the thing that got him to that place. Wanders back to Tom who's at the cabin gets himself back there without thinking and Tom says well I knew Marie wouldn't come with you pal. I'm glad you worked through that quick Because until somebody's ready to come through they can't come through I mean her Coming through is event- is assured eventually she's going to do it. It's inevitable everybody does but uh, you can't pull them through without confusing them And uh, a cheap desire trip and have her come and be your partner and love only you forever and always and you love only her forever and always is uh, just exactly the kind of thing that makes everybody crazy. Jason says, well, I really like it out here and I really like what's going on and I certainly do appreciate everything that uh, you've done for me. And Tom says, well, good, then then you're ready for the next bit of information, which is the fact that I'm splitting. Jason says, where are you going? Tom says, "I, I can't tell you that. I'm going to a place that you wouldn't understand either. And Jason, well, there's no, well, what am I going to do? And uh, Tom says, well, you're going to be a guide now. Jason says, I don't know how to be a guide. I mean, mean, I've learned a little bit about uh, this love business with Marie, but I'm certainly ill-equipped to show people around this state of consciousness. Tom says, you'll do just fine. You'll have every message that you need. Mm -hmm. Tom says, look. All you have to do is love everybody and tell the truth. Jason says, oh, is that all? He says, yeah, that's all. I mean, it's a very simple kind of thing. And Jason says, what about if I find somebody that I don't like that's a drag? And Tom says, well, your real nature is love, man. All you can do is stop hating. Because your natural self, which is loving, will shine forth. Jason says, well, I don't want to be loving to some creep. Tom says, well, that's what you've got to learn to quit. And if you quit that, then love shines forth without effort. Jason says, yeah, and I'll walk around and I'll be going, hello, I love you, and some will be smashing me in the face and stealing my wallet. Tom says, "Nah, you don't quite have it yet, pal, because the kind of love that we're talking about is not this simple, humble, I love you, baby, uh, here we are, it's all groovy and wow and far out. The kind of love we're talking about is active and powerful, And it is the sort of thing in which evil withers. Well, Jason says, I don't know. Tom says, look, you'll catch it later. I'm leaving. Jason says, well, when will I understand? Tom says, well, the infinite is a funny thing to contemplate. Right now you believe a growth occurs through time, but as you begin to nibble at the edge of the infinite, one of the first things you find out is that there is no time. And this thing that you've been calling growth occurring through time doesn't occur at all. So when you understand the infinite, the first thing you understand is that you've been there all along. Mm -hmm. It's like the prison. You were free the whole time, just didn't know it. And he splits, and Jason says goodbye, and this is the last song. It'll be the last song tonight as well, and thank you very much. I've enjoyed it on a couple of levels. From California, Michael Westbrook.
2: Okay, so what what can I help, how can I help you with the piece you want to write?
1: I've compiled a whole bunch of questions, and you don't mind that this is being recorded. Uh, I just
2: no, I, I don't mind. Uh,
1: no, it's okay. Okay, um, and I you know I don't. It's not going to be a, a podcast or anything like that. It's going to you know, use. Yeah, just menu.
2: you can leave these these recordings off the air. I mean, there's no reason to do it. But if you do want to do it, you know it's okay. I mean, since you told me, I'll be careful.
1: Okay. Uh, not sure if you'd want to hear sort of a, a, a preamble um, that kind of uh, puts uh, my view of the prison in, in perspective, or should, or if I, or if you just want to go ahead with um, answering questions. No, I'd love
2: to. I'd love to hear what you have. And uh, is this uh, is this going to be in text, or is it going to come over
1: in, in audio? Um, I'll just I'll just read it to you. Oh, okay, great. Yeah.
2: Hang on. Hang on. Just a second. Sure. Okay, I'm back. (coughs) Sorry. Okay, go ahead. Read it.
1: Okay, so uh,
2: just so so I understand. And also I'll I'll have a little tag local. This is uh, this is what you've written up so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, like this wouldn't be necessarily the beginning of the book, but this is just sort of to put my uh, perspective in context, I suppose. Okay. Uh, it, 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 it might make my line of questioning make make a little more sense i suppose
2: okay i'm right with you let's let's
1: go uh so for me the prison is a work that keeps to use your word unfolding but in my case the more that the backstory becomes known uh it keeps unfolding okay cool so after trying and failing several times to embrace it um as i had done uh, much of your other work uh and only having the two reworked versions to go on I had to put it down to a disconnect between form and content. Okay. I knew that this was an amazing and unique dish, but there were some spices in the sauce or the chili that didn't agree with me. So I wasn't willing to dive in.
2: Okay. Can you share those or are we going to just leave uh, those unsaid? Yeah.
1: I, I, um, I mean, we'll, 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 get to that, but, um, you know, hearing the, uh, the 90, what 1995 or whatever, um, and then the 2006 or whenever the re-release three, um, when you overdubbed stuff and we, uh, re- um, you know, reproduced it. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't, um, just to my personal aesthetics, it, 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 the the uh, the messenger wasn't wearing the clothes that uh, made me um want to uh, engage with it, I suppose.
2: No, I understand. You, you, you depend on the uniform when you show up at a restaurant to, to, to tell the waiters from the from the patrons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, I got you.
1: Um, so, um, let's see. Then two things happened that became uh, two important lenses through which to view it uh, that made it the work, this work that I kept wanting to come back to and ponder and learn from, and tell people about, and which I now want to write a book about.
2: Uh, (laughs) Okay, all right. I'm right with you, and I'll (laughs) help you the whole way. (laughs) Uh,
1: The first was hearing the original release. Uh, Those words paired with those sounds uh, made it make a lot more sense together. Like- Uh I see, okay. uh, Like having an intimidating, brilliant, informal professor who you can't really relate to, but then seeing a photo of him when he was a wild-looking grad student and suddenly having the context to understand him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well said. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh,
1: I now heard it in its natural state or original state, and I was in love. Right. Um, I also, from experience, uh, suspected that it might be in part a psychedelically informed work, which can be a big bonding thing between two people or between a person and a piece of art, influenced by the psychedelic experience. I don't uh-huh. like it. I don't like getting obnoxious about it, or, uh, but there's that, aha, you've been there too, recognition, uh-huh. uh, that, it, that is often better acknowledged without much discussion. Um, and I'll tell you the aha line for me that opened it up. Um, and to me, it's one of the most uh, masterfully, succinct summations of a psychedelic experience. And that's the line, it's late again, it's straight again.
0: It's late again, it's straight again, it's hopeless and this lost. this fair retreat that stand so watch. Which,
1: uh, you know, when I first heard that, I was like, ooh, I've been there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good for you.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, you're right on it.
1: Okay. Um, and uh, let's see. Next, I read, read the galley of Infinite Tuesday um, that you had sent a couple of years ago. And uh, chapter eight uh, was just the great unknown becoming known. Uh-huh. Uh, never had you let on that all that uh, was the backdrop against which you conceived and wrote the prison. And maybe, uh-huh. maybe you'd never intended the Wizard of Oz's shroud to fall. But for me, and I suspect a lot of people, I'm much more likely to listen to and engage with the guy who's telling me that my life is a prison when I know that he's writing these words from his own prison and not preaching from atop a mountain.
2: Correct. Well, let me let me let me jump in and insert something yeah. um, and make a note of this. <clears throat> I struggled with getting the prison out. I it, uh, it was uh, it was a long and circuitous path for me during the 70s uh, to try to get these ideas. I had been trained uh, in a kind of formal uh, conservative teaching uh, tradition um, that unfolded the idea, the eh, what what do I want to say, the basics. Uh, the, the rules and regulations of, of this universe that Mary Baker Eddy had unfolded for me in her book. Well, that's not true. I had studied her book, uh, Science and Health, but it had always been just out of touch, mm-hmm. just out of reach. Now, she was saying the same thing, and I thought, well, I don't want to rewrite the science and health, first of all. Second of all, I couldn't do it if I wanted to, and uh, – <clears throat> so I, I, I'll just leave it alone, and then um, after a couple of more acid drops, I started to think, you know, there's a there is a um, a cosmic glue. That's the name of a new uh, strain here in California where it's legal. Um, <laughs> uh, called cosmic glue. There is there is a kind of. A, a uh, connection between all the points of all ideas that is that points to the sameness of all ideas, that there's really only, as Campbell put it, only one myth, mm. only one thing that comes through the uh, illusion of mortality to rescue us. And it's the same for all of us. Mm. And to get that expressed and codified and poeticized became the path rather than trying to get the ideas said. because I, I thought to myself, this book's been written a thousand times. You're not going to write it again to any great uh, um, insight. You're just going to write it again, but it'll have your words on it. It'll have your uh, your way on it. It'll have the music on it. It'll be a very individual piece, but it's going to be about the same thing that we all struggle with. Because there's no way out of it. We we all struggle with it, and we all have to do it. So when I made that when I made that deal with myself and my muse, uh, then the book just flowed from there. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was all kicked loose by the psychedelics. That you know, every time I turn over another leaf, I'd go, "Oh, I'm I'm looking through a door uh, into uh, into uh, the outside." Mm-hmm. Did that make any sense? I, I got a oh. little wandered a little there, but. Being alone and, Being alone
1: and You know, something that uh, I'd read George Harrison say uh, about, uh, you know, psychedelics getting you. Uh, m- making you aware that there is a door, but that you do need um, to take that extra step. You know, in in his case, it was you know getting into the uh, the, uh, the the Hindu and uh, the yeah. Indian stuff. Um, well,
2: I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I agree with him. Don't don't let me interrupt, but let me just say, I, I don't really agree with that. I was watching that special the other day, and I just love him. And mm-hmm. I love his work so much. He he really felt like a kindred spirit. I only met him one time, and it was a a pass on a sidewalk in London as we were going and coming from respective dinner parties, and uh, so I didn't really have access into any of his deeper thoughts other than what I gained from things like All Things Must Pass and the the various pieces that he had written, Mm -hmm. and I had a sense, yeah, we're on the same page here, but I... For me, there was there was a part of this journey that I was taking that required searching out and finding the break in the wall, mm. uh, the, the place where the wall should connect, but actually didn't connect. And you could make it through there. You, we can make it through there. Once you find it and you're no longer afraid of the dark, it hangs outside the break. Mm. Uh, and... What had happened was that in the in the book, what happens is that Jason basically lets go of Marie. He mm-hmm. basically says, "Okay, you got your thing, I got my thing. I'm going to go do it. I'm, you know, I don't want to wait around here for you to break up with your boyfriend. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I've found this this place where I can get out of the prison, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. And of course, the uh, the fear that the book enunciates is that. Well, if you go through the break, if you go through the wall, if you take the acid, if you live out uh, war in a foxhole, you're going to go through that space.
0: Fear creeps like sand through the cracks And confrontation conquers fear oh Fear has no substance of its own
2: There's no way to avoid it because it's a space that rescue rescues us from trauma. Mm-hmm. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you have to be very clear that that's what you're doing. And then that became my job as a writer, what I thought to do. And that was that was very much helped along by uh, uh, intoxication. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't intoxicated all of the time. Mm-hmm but it was it was my recreational drug so I did not take it while I was writing the prison right except to say at the same time and what would happen is after a day's work I would kick back with whatever herb some friendly neighbor had given me and just drift off and, and I realized when I was reading the prison that it it happened that reading would happen very much like what would happen. <clears throat> When I would read the science and health, when I was high, it mm-hmm. was this—it was this perfect association of ideas that showed me the uh, mechanics and the the engineering <clears throat> that stands at the doorway of all great passages, mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> it became became easy to stand at that passage and wait for the muse, but I had to do that. I mean, that was a that was a an effort that I had to make. I can't call it a a human effort, but it was an effort. and uh, and so one thing maybe will help to understand is that <clears throat> the best way to think of the break in the prison wall is perhaps an irregular polyform with straight walls that intersect ordinarily and and create a big uh, uh, circle of something like a fence or a boundary or an area that you can't get out of, and then suddenly realizing, oh, wait a minute, where I thought it connected and kept me from getting past this boundary, it actually doesn't connect. Mm. Somebody forgot to build it. <laughs> Somebody forgot to put that in there. and. <clears throat> So when Jason stands at that break, that's like when I would when I would drift off into. Uh, are you are you familiar with the word hypnagosia?
1: I'm um, not sure.
2: Well, let me give it to you and and uh, <clears throat> define it, and then you can you can get to do some work in your dictionaries. But it, <laughs> it is a word that describes the state between waking and dreaming. Okay. And. <clears throat> Einstein used it a lot, and the way he put it into his life is he would hold a handful of keys over a wooden floor while he took a nap on the couch, mm. and when his hand fully relaxed, he would drop the keys, and that would wake him. In the meantime, when he would fall into this state of hypnagogia, he would not fall asleep until he dropped the keys. So he extended the hypnagogia by that much. These are um, these are off repeated tales and they're from the Einstein books that you can read but yes. you can you can take it on faith that I did that and and thought well hell if he's doing if he's doing it, I should you know uh, take a seat at that bar for a while and see what what happens. So I did do that I, I tried to uh, to create hypnagosia and one of the best ways I found to do it was with cannabis can Mm -hmm. put you in kind of a sleepy, relaxed state. But it wouldn't get me all the way out of the prison. Mm -hmm. I was still sitting there bound in the mortal coil. So I was finding my way through it, and I realized that, well, what you have to do is you've got to identify like-minded people. Uh, I don't know who said it, but but they said it well when they said find the others. And the other part of it is is uh, ta- tackling the fear straight on because you're going to come up against something that's terrifying, mm-hmm. and that happens all the time on, uh, on the hallucinogens. You know, mm-hmm. here, comes, here comes this… Uh, a really cute teddy bear bouncing up to you, and then all of a sudden it's not a teddy bear anymore. It's a monster. <laughs> not, only, not only is it a monster, it's not benign. It's come to eat you. <laughs> and that, you know, those are childhood dreams that just scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And and did until I wrote The Prison. And, that, and in writing The Prison, I destroyed that fear so that if I see it coming into my thinking, mm-hmm. uh, a part of my thinking that doesn't connect, it doesn't lock up. It's not logical or there's something missing in the way that the ideas are flowing into each other. I don't get afraid anymore. I don't don't get afraid. Oh my God, I'm out here. I don't have a paddle. I don't know where to go. I'm completely lost. And now this idea that I'm trying to uh, express and embody has lost meaning to me. I don't know what this is about. And, and, uh, but it was, by understanding that I came to the next stages of of the prison what the prison unfolds, which is freedom, mm-hmm. and and it defines freedom. The book defines freedom in many ways, which is uh, and and one of the most important is let it go. Just mm-hmm. it, it's not exactly let it be, the Beatles. Mm-hmm. But it's let it go. Whatever you're holding on, that's going to um, save you. If you'll let it go, it will go. And it, it reminded me of a dream that I'd had, a recurring dream.
0: I want to tell you about a dream I had the other night, kind of, then then before I go. And so uh, I can share this with you anyway, which would be nice. I dreamed I was playing golf with Bean Crosby. <laughs> you know that song. In this dream,
2: I am tattered and torn and beat and in just kind of a disastrous space by the winds of time and by the winds of friends and by the winds of curiosities and ignorance. And it was represented in my dream as a huge stone pillar, which was the last remaining pillar in my own personal Parthenon. I didn't have any idea what it represented, but it stayed on a foundation of the kind of, you know, it, it's all done. The design key feels like ancient Greece. And there's this pillar that rises to the sky that I can barely see the top of. And as I'm standing there contemplating, a storm begins. And mm-hmm. it's a hell of a storm. You know, it's a, it's a, an apocalyptic um, climate change storm. And, and, the thought comes to me, hold on to the pillar. The pillar is strength and it's not going to be affected by this storm. Just hold on to it. So I went up to the pillar. I could wrap my arms around it. And, um, and i blocked locked my fingers together and I thought, I'm just going to wait out this storm and see what happens. And what happened is the storm got worse, hmm. got more and more howling and, and, and uh, aggressive and, Things falling and breaking and blowing things over, like you see in some of the climate change pictures, and <clears throat> and I thought, well, this uh, this is uh, crazy. I I can't withstand these winds. And then I was beset by the next stage of fright, which was the pillar the that I had hold of, the column, the great stone column started to rock. It flipped back and forth on its foundation. It was a, you know, it was a standard uh, pillar mount, I suppose. But as it began to come loose, I was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a God to pray to. I didn't have a devil to pray to. I had nothing except to know that the one thing that I had foundationally in my life was was coming unstuck. Mm. I thought, this is not good. You, you know, get out of here. Let this you don't have any substance here and finally the winds and the storm had become so strong that my feet were extended horizontally out from the pillar i was blowing straight away like a cartoon character and i thought well this is not i can't hold on to this my hands were scraping against the stone of the pillar and the column and the and I thought, I've just got to let this go. I cannot stand it. And a gust of wind came at that moment and blew so hard that my fingers released their grip on each other. My hands were parted. My arms opened. And I thought, well, there goes, you know, there I go. I'm going to blow away. Hmm. But what happened was the pillar blew away. And I was I was left in the same space. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> The pillar wasn't real. The mm-hmm. pillar wasn't a thing. The pillar is not not there. And that was a <clears throat> that was a huge door that mm-hmm. opened for me into finishing the prison as a as a story. Wow. I talk too much, I'm sorry.
1: No, not at all. And and, and in the dream you, you uh you knew not to hold on to the pillar as it was flying away. So
2: oh, yeah, I didn't chase it at all. It was like this is good riddance to bad rubbish. Mm. You're holding on to something. It's keeping you think it's keeping you you steady and and wedded to your your the security of the of the planet, but it's not. Mm. Uh, It's it's uh, it's holding you back because it is it is without substance. Let it go. Yeah. And when you let it go, it reveals the world that you're in, and that's what happens to Jason in the story it doesn't happen like i just said it i mean i could have written it like that but i thought no that's too on the nose but but i I, it's in there and you can prize it out it sounds like you may have done that Let the let the let the column let the uh, the great stone pillar blow away. Mm-hmm. And when I fall into a a um, a kind of cannabis high, what happens is that uh, everything begins to uh, uh, coalesce and mm-hmm. to uh, have its own own substance, but it's not the substance I think it is. So. It's a it's a kind of release. It's an opening of the gate that I can run through or it's an opening of the gate where all the horses run out and you realize that the gate holds
1: nothing for them. They can jump it at any time, mm-hmm. etc. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. here's, here, here's sort of the, the, the second half of, uh, I guess, the one of the lenses that I see the prison and, um, and that I kind of want to write about, um, which is. Uh, setting the scene to when you were writing and recording it um, in the context of what your musical peers were, were what was going on with them at that same time. Let's see. I consider 1965 to 74 as a golden age of creativity in, in rock and pop. Um, and I know that you're modest, but to me, your output in that decade uh, stands alongside any of the other greats of, of that time.
2: Uh, well, that warms that warms my heart. I, I'll tell you that because I, I agree that that
1: was a golden age. Mm-hmm. But when you get to when you get to 1974, uh, the collective uh, creative tank that had been filled in the mid 60s was running on fumes for a lot of those folks. Uh, more harmful substances had taken over. Addictions were taking hold and it was showing in the bleakness of the output. Um, and some, some examples uh, from right around that time, uh, Harry Nelson's uh, Cats." Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stones and the Who were both kind of treading water at that time. Yeah. Uh, Brian Wilson was nowhere to be found. Uh, George Harrison was on his one and only solo tour, but was kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, and the album that he was touring at the time, Dark Horse, was depressing and he's you know and he, and he sounded depressed. Yeah.
0: Take the dawn
1: Going off the rails and about to begin a five year hiatus, and uh, and the Grateful Dead had even uh, decided to stop touring for almost two years.
0: Yeah. Now I share your love, the bottle stand is empty as they were. Atlantic,
1: but from that cup no more. Um, they had all been stuck in their own sort of prisons, uh, but self-medicating uh, to make life inside more bearable. Right, That's, right. Meanwhile, in your own uh, dark period, as you write in the, in Infinite Tuesday, uh, you devised a way to write your way out of your prison. And wanted to tell the world about it uh through the allegory um but you know uh it would seem just because of the lack of reception i suppose um that uh you know whether we're talking you know your musical peers or just music fans record buying public um they seemed unwilling to change their points of view um and as you say, in IT, the 70s are all about if it feels good, do it. Um, but at that point, it seems like you made a conscious decision to turn 180 degrees away from uh, what was going on. Well, yeah, and what you just
2: said was more of an aphorism than a truth. And it didn't, it wouldn't fly. It, was, it wouldn't support any weight. If it feels good, do it. Doesn't really get you anything but lost. Right. And um, it, or me. I mean, I'm I'm starting to sound a little dogmatic, but I thought this is not an option for me. Uh, you know, feeling good. I feel good for for a lot of things. I feel good for great sex and great food and great travel and great great novels and so on. For none of it opens the door. None mm-hmm. of it reveals the place, the anomaly, where the ideas which have seemed so permanent and fixed and so constrictive are not there Mm. and they they vanish so that's you're right on it Though you're you 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 uh, you've got the you've got the bullseye still in your target window
1: just outlook wise, but sound wise, you know, when you listen to the first uh, version of the, of the prison, it doesn't sound like anything else from 1974. seventy-four. <laughs> will replace substance found
0: in time and space. Oh, my friend, you are quite fine. You see, there is no other.
1: Like Even even those who were considered cutting edge at that time, you know, David Bowie or, you know, Lou Reed or Sparks or something like that, they were still, you know, big guitar riffs, sax solos, fancy drumming and, uh, and the prison, you know, has this kind of minimal weird, um, you know, maybe someone like Brian Eno was possibly doing something like that at the time, or, you know, but if anything, you know, maybe some like Krautrock, you know, German, you know, obscure German thing that I've heard, uh, yeah. you know, was was, you know, using a, a early drum machine for. You know, for for the rhythm, um, you know, along with the arc and. Uh, and all that, but I, I was wondering whether there was any specific um, sound you were inspired by or going for or whether you just felt like, OK, this is this is what I'm hearing in my head. And, and you know. These are the this is the collection of sounds that uh, that I think would you know, support this this story the best.
2: Yeah, it's the latter, Brian. It, it was it was just um, there was an object set at hand in the form of instruments and other players and so forth. There was uh, the idea was was unfolding, and it was um, sending me in a very specific direction, which I recognized as an ever increasing freedom, and requiring a redefinition of freedom. Um, there are you know probably a half a dozen words that mean free, and um, all of it, it it points to no constraints. No restrictions in any direction of thought, and that is considered by the hunter gatherers that I grew up with to be madness. Because it's like, well, you got to be afraid of snakes and you got to be afraid of lions, because if you go mucking around with them, they'll eat you and wear wear you for clothes. Mm -hmm. And but that the farther I ventured into this territory. Of uh, freedom, the more I realized that at a certain point I was going to be alone, but being alone would only show me that all this stuff had blown away. And that at that point I could look around and I would start to see reality. Now I'll tell you that (laughs) that that hasn't happened yet, but it seems to happen a little bit at a time. It's like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there's that there's some kind of, of completion that's going on, uh, like making a bed, you know, one sheet at a time and taking careful uh, that you're folding everything right and doing it all right. And then at a certain point, right where you think you're making a bed, a fully made comfortable bed pops up for you to sit down on. So <clears throat> I, had to, I had to get myself around that because physics doesn't support that on any level Uh, that's uh that's talk people talk about that as magic and you know the angels come down and make the bed for you but there's none of that in the prison there are no visitations there are no angels that come and rescue you and so on and so forth even the the fact that tom says i'm i'm a friend I've, i've got some answers for you follow me but even then, you know, it's uh, that starts to happen in your real life. You're suspicious because right. it's it's like asking uh, somebody who works at a at a at a meat, meat packing plant where you can get a good vegetable dinner. It's like uh,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't, they don't really know. <clears throat> were you aware of that uh, suspicion um, during your gigs around that time when you were sort of trying to explain, um, you know, this new set of beliefs that you had, um, you know, I'm thinking of that, that zigzag concert that you sort of, uh, play your career up to that point, um, while, you know, introducing each song as, you know, here's where I was in my, uh, evolution. Was, um,
0: like the beginning of the change in that whole thing with me, this song, in terms of just, um, dealing with the way things are. Um, In this song, home refers to that place in your own consciousness where you are. Me and you, a subject-object place that I was at for a long time. This was before cause and effect had any kind of truth in my consciousness about uh, the nature of it. Um, This is a song that uh, that was like the beginning of the awakening through that period. Here I am. I'm stuck here. And uh, nothing I seem to do is going to work. I mean, I don't want to get into any place where I'm doing any kind of funny, false heroics. I just want to be what I am and just do what I'm doing, you know, I mean, just like anybody does. And so um, a lot of songs began to come out of that period, along with this kind of development of this funny little place because... The idea about consciousness began to take on an element of living truth. I had in mind going ahead and letting you see what ultimately got me out of the little prison that I had built for myself. And it has to do with just a simple conscious development because I began to realize that really uh, somehow I began to know that I couldn't get hurt, which was a nice place to find myself. And the funny thing about it is that came from the depths of despair. That particular—I mean,
1: I'm sure you were—you realized that they were suspicious when you read some of the reviews, saying like, "What's you know, what's he talking about?"
2: Well, uh, yeah, no, that, that's clear enough. Um, the the um, it's not that the doors ever started to close or it started to seem preposterous to me in any way. What was happening during the whole time with the prison? was a continuous liberation mm. the more i contemplated these ideas and tried to render them in words and music <clears throat> the the more they became real to me but <clears throat> my life was a mess mm. i didn't have i was i was not successful as a as a performer or a player i didn't have, have success as a writer i had no respect as an artist all of those things were just absent from my life, and left a huge hole—a yeah. um, a, a kind of "what do I do with myself?" hole. Um, lots of people have it, you know. I don't—I have no direction known, so I'm not going to go oh, anyway. I'll <laughs> you know, just sit here until it—and <clears throat> turns out that's okay to do, but it, it also says this. This thing that you're that you're starting to uncover is permanent and always there, and you can always come back to it, and you can find it the same way. Uh, in my case, it was finding anomalies and finding those places where the walls didn't touch. They didn't. They did. They were no longer encapsulating. They were open, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: I could walk through them at any given time. It wasn't uh, the, the the fact that the rest of the walls disappeared. Uh, it was just continuous of the metaphysics. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't convince Marie to go with Jason, didn't convince any of the characters to change their ways. And <clears throat> that's been the way it's been in my life. I don't, in finding the others, uh, I don't find somebody who thinks the way I think. I find somebody who's in the same place that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot, but it did not happen during that particular time. And as I was watching the other guys struggle with it, the other big artists of of my time, Mm. I realized, oh, you know, they're off this beat. They don't understand. They don't understand this the same way that I understand it. So I don't have dialogue here. Mm. Then I just moved along. But that was a darker period. That was a feeling of loneliness. Mm not having anybody in my life that I could really love and treasure. So I'm still living it out. You know, what can I tell you? These problems
0: simply
1: Specific uh, geeky questions, I suppose. Oh, um, it's good. Yeah. All right. So uh, last summer, saw the digital release of those previously unreleased outtakes uh, from the six RCA albums, and uh, one of the biggest surprises was an early version of Marie's theme, um, recorded with the Countryside Band. Um, I assume for the during the Ranch Stash sessions.
0: Was uh-huh. One sometimes you between friends she began to emerge without speaking a word into something quite
2: different from oh, him for it seems
1: Which uh, according to the album notes were is March nineteen seventy three. Um, a whole year later, in in April seventy four is when You sort of debuted it as a new song at that Zigzag concert. And
0: then blissfully wade right on through. Still the ideas unfolded in perfect array, only hinting at what lay beyond them. Hidden behind all the logic one finds without truth.
1: the roundhouse in london and uh at that show from all the between song insights about your personal evolution it's clear that the prison at that point was was in gestation um i don't think you'd recorded it yet but maybe the songs had been written um but what was the state of the prison uh going back to that ranch stash version of marie's theme um so obviously that was a finished song. What was the state of the rest of the prison at that point? Was Marie's theme uh, just a standalone song at that point, or something that um, you knew was the beginning of something else?
2: It was the, it was the latter, and yeah. uh, I was a, uh, I, at that point I was gardening, which is means you know watching the plants grow, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it was a it was a question of letting all of those things line up in my thinking so that I could make a, an album out of it. At, the, at that time, I didn't even know that it would be an album. I didn't even know whether it'd be more than one song. And the only song that I really had, I had a couple of them. I had Marie's theme and I had another one. I can't think of what it was rolling around in there. And what both of them said to me was, this is a completed work. All you need to do is just stay at the desk, um, stay at the guitar, and and bring the songs forward as they op- occur to you, and you'll see it all stitch itself together at some point. Now, that's happened for me, but I am uh, chagrined is too strong a word, but I'm a little embarrassed. It hasn't happened for anybody else as near as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who come to me and say, oh, this has meant so much to me, but I don't exactly know what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. But, what I, What it means to me, I know. But I'm not sure that it's the same thing it means to anybody else. But I've had to let that go, too, Mm -hmm. because it's not a lecture and it's not a it's not a sermon and it's not uh, I'm not preaching an idea. You know, oh, boy, I found out you have to stop before you turn left. And then you tell everybody that you meet down at that intersection. Be sure and stop before you turn left. That's that's not a uh, that's not a teaching. That's an instruction, and it's, a, um, it just, it's, it's just a warning that there's a little bit of work that needs to be done at this coming intersection. But it's not the way inspiration occurs to me. Inspiration occurs to me when I'm, I'm looking um, directly at something, and I'm thinking, oh, it's a tennis ball. And I realize, no, that's not a tennis ball. That's, a, that's one piece of an entire puzzle of universal manifestation. You're on a plane of manifestation where a tennis ball can exist, uh, and so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the tennis ball that exists here, and it is a tennis ball, and you can play tennis with it. Um, What you're learning is that it's not all there is, and that there's a lot more. And as more becomes available, the tennis ball will not disappear from any place other than its own purview from from it as if it had a personality which it does not but as if it was uh, uh something that existed uh, f- forever mm-hmm. and will exist forever and it, and that it's the only tennis ball there is I mean these these um these ideas of uh of unity come very slowly and they have, millions of connection points and, and and in my work i've had to sit and sort that out you know how does it connect what does it do um uh, mary baker Eddy was able to demonstrate this when she saw it by healing and um, lifting people out of trouble and being useful to the way people practice their life and so forth and uh, shining some light on the mysteries of theology and and uh, and fairy tales mm. and it's kind of like that with me you know it was uh, what is this thing that you're in the process of and and invariably the answer was shut up and sit down and listen mm. talking and you don't need to figure something out you don't need to write write it all up you just listen mm. and uh, that's, that was a carryover from the song itself, listening. Sometimes thoughts coincidental with activities quite simple mm-hmm. in consideration seem to be quite meaningless.
0: with activities quite simple in But that's not,
2: you know, what that's doing is that's just unpacking that so I can see, don't get caught up in here. This pillar is not what's stuck uh, or what's holding you up or where the strength is. The pillar comes from your own integration into a, a landscape of unification that unfolds higher and higher ideas, one of which is that there is no prison so <laughs> is any of this making sense brian <laughs> oh, totally
1: totally, <laughs> yes are you doing okay Absolutely. yeah um so going back to uh the the ranch stash uh you know proceeding of uh, the prison um i went back and read uh the liner notes to that and uh the two things that stuck out to me the most was um one that you kind of preview the the uh marie's theme uh theme, I guess, uh, by talking about, um, the relationship of logic and and truth, which, uh, you know, the world hadn't heard Marie's theme yet, but, uh, there you are sort of previewing that, that concept.
2: Well, there's a little bit, are are you through uh, there? I mean, do I have your whole thought?
1: Um, but, uh, then the other thing is, uh, that you introduced that essay by talking about, uh, Uh, I mean, you you definitely seem like maybe in a one foot in, one foot out place where you're saying maybe the point is that there is no point, Um, I think is how you sort of introduce that uh, that essay. And which reminded me of um, the uh, famous Harry Nilsson album and cartoon, uh, The Point, which which was for him, uh, I guess, a psychedelic uh, revelation, which was manifested to him was the point was that there is no point which, uh, I guess, tragically, he never really evolved from, from that philosophy. Well, it's a,
2: it's, a, it's a nihilistic philosophy, first of
1: all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
2: and, it's a, and second of all, it isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, there is very much a point to uh, existing, and you and I feel it, in what we call a unlimited happiness, mm-hmm. a kind of satisfaction and a comfort and a, uh, a fearlessness that makes life worth living and life, you know, seems like it's going to go the way we want. And it, in whatever direction our thought is focused on, we can have the confidence to move forward. But it's it, – it, it, and this is not an admonition, but what the song uh, is saying, where he is saying is uh, there is – you have to have truth. Before you have logic, Mm -hmm. you have to have something that's real to build on. What was real for Jason in the prison is that there was no prison. Mm -hmm. And and what was it that made it no prison? Was it that he couldn't see the walls? Well, yes, but that's a little bit of hallucination. Mm -hmm. What's real is that the walls don't come together. Mm -hmm. They are not joined in any way that constrains or constricts or destroys our capabilities they aren't joined at all, which unfolds into a larger and larger idea, which is there is no prison here. Mm. You're, not, you're not locked in any place. And he runs back and he says, Marie, I found out there's a hole. We can get out. We can and, and she's saying, why in the world would we do that? Mm. Charlie was Charlie did that and he came back nuts. He thinks mm-hmm. he came back thinking he was a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And and it's um it's that moment where you start to realize the it, it, it's not that the prison becomes invisible. And this was a little bit I, – I struggled with the explanation because when he comes back to visit the prison and, he, and he, it, it reveals itself to him as he comes over the rise of a hill, that there are no walls. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's a hole in the wall. It's that there's no walls at all. Mm. There's nothing there to create a prison from. It's not possible. And this goes to a grounding metaphysical point that Eddie raises early in her teachings, which is that God is all and God is good and God is infinite. Therefore, There is no evil. And a lot of people who start as young students of Christian science just struggle with that. What do you mean there's no evil? I just lost my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. What do you mean there's no evil? I just lost my job. I just lost the use of my hand. On and on and on with the tragedies of mortal life. Mm -hmm. And what she has said is, no, no, that's mortality. And that has nothing that can uh, uh, encapsulate hold on to our individuality. Our individuality is not built on the pillar of mortality. When we let it go, it blows away, but we don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. We stay right where we are. Got the same amount of change in our pockets, got the same uh, friends, we're in the same more or less geographical location, but maybe removed a touch. And when those ideas begin to unfold the facts of what they are, they reveal a different type of logic, a different a, a, a logic that doesn't stray too far from platonic, but a logic that is um, uh, much more useful in giving the lie to what appears to be a prison. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's not at all. Now, it is true that Jason, in his search, Uncovered the anomaly and found it, and ran to tell everybody that he could. And so it took some work and it took some sweat for him to get out of there. And that's all just out of my own biography. That's just out of my playbook. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done that, and it's it's now in IT. So you know you can go back and and research it that way. But what you're gonna what you what you'll end up with is the same eternal fact, which is there. Um, there is no uh, uh, logic without truth, we right. first have to start with truth, mm-hmm. that's the tough one, that's the tough one,
1: yeah, what is truth, <laughs> Say sayeth the poet, <clears throat> yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, that concept, that chorus, you know, um, I'm not sure if anyone gets that the first time, oh yeah. I
2: doubt they do I yeah. certainly didn't no, it's <laughs> I a, it's a mantra
1: <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite songs of yours which is Capsule from Infinite Rider um, there's the line about um, uh, funny people living by the sea Bunch of
0: funny people living by the sea and trying to get to other planets trying to start another scene said come what we mean but I learned not to trust them they were
1: not what they see is that a reference to the uh, folks you were living among um, around yes. that time yeah? yes okay. oh, yeah, okay. it was uh, it was the
2: uh, uh, the phony gurus mm-hmm Own um, of its own reality. It goes. It it turns into when you're staring at it. It it uh, it you suddenly or slowly or softly realize this is not what I think it is. This isn't what I'm where I really am. I'm not really sick. I'm not really injured. <clears throat> it's a sense that we have of something being so that isn't. So before we understand that it's not so, we think that it is. Well, look at that state of mind. It is it is shored up by every ounce of ego and certainty that we have as these uh, uh, so-called intelligent mortals, which we are not. Uh, but we think that the intelligence that we express Is an intelligence that is ours uniquely, which on one hand it is because it's individual, but on the other hand, it's the same intelligence we all share. You and I are talking within that intelligence right now. And you know what I'm saying, and I know what you're saying because of that intelligence. And that intelligence is higher and more uh, and smarter than any of us are in what we think of as alone or captured in our own world. We're not. Now, you can't just say that and, you know, jump up on the one remaining leg and try to make it to, uh, you know, to, to Antarctica. That's not what it is. It is to replace the lost leg with the only leg we have, which is metaphysical and which is, manifest in that plane of existence as a leg and now we have two feet uh, and two legs by which we maneuver but it's mental it doesn't there's no physical plane it's only a mental plane only ever and always and once we stray from that sense of the continuity of mind into the discontinuity of mind into into millions of little different separate minds, that's that is when we start to have wars. All of those arguments God never has with himself, herself, never happens. They are not legitimate arguments. Mm-hmm. You following this? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, 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 good. Yeah. It's it's not a hard idea to follow, except that the senses just implode and and say absolutely contrary to what we're dealing with you know we feel pain through senses we we feel sick through the senses we feel lost and angry and all the things that all comes in through the mortal mind created by the mortal sense yeah. and you can find that that goes all the way back to the teachings of jesus and before him to the teachings of the of the Greeks and to the, you you just find it. It runs throughout what we think of as a supposed history of mortality. But of course there can be no history of mortality if there is no mortality. Right. And we, you, you th- those are jumps that once you are onto this prison idea that there is no prison, it, you just get bumped every time you start to get stuck. It bumps you out of it and says, no, 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 don't go that way. The ice cream is over here. And so you, you you change your path, to always to to your benefit. This is this is heavy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's not uh, it's not to be trifled with. But I don't know anybody that does trifle with it, except for charlatans who try to teach it as their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, you you know what we come to understand is that these are God's ideas, and what we don't really have our arms around is what is God, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> In, uh, in in Mrs. Eddy's writings, in her main book Science and Health, the first question she asks and answers is "What is God?" Mm-hmm. It's in the it's the first line of recapitulation, and she says what it is. And
1: as you read it, you go, "Oh, this is true." In the story, um, an old literary device is. Um, giving a character a name that refers to or describes an element of their personality, um, in the prison book is less named that because his goal to be the big respected leader within the prison or the king of the finite, uh, represents settling for less or, or Marie settling for less. Well, it's an interesting
2: idea, Brian. And, and, uh, you're the first one that said anything like that to me. I did not do that consciously, but I'll stipulate to it. It uh, it, it wraps around the idea
1: of less very
2: easily. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. What ratio or percentage of, of uh, people that you've heard from over the years enjoy the simultaneous reading, listening experience versus those who say, I just don't have that kind of brain or that, you know.
2: Well, it's a hard ratio to think. I think it's many more say I don't have that kind of brain than do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how to p- partial that out. I don't know, you know, what the what the ratio is at all. Uh, what happened to me when I was writing it was that this was these were teachings that I had grown up with and had rejected. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I don't get it. I can't think like that. I'm not a metaphysician. I just don't understand it. And very quickly I got the idea. Once I once I started down the idea the the, the notion of the non-existence of mortality, which is what the prison represents. I began to entertain those ideas that supported the non-existence of mortality and supported the eternal, continuous, uninterruptible and unafflictable existence of spirituality. And it became the background of being for me, the background of who I was and where I was and so forth. And <clears throat> that was the point of conjunction uh when the spiritual overtook the material uh, suggestions and became a, a contrafact uh, to those ideas of uh, many minds and many uh, warring ideas and and afflictions uh it, it it began to close all those things off and actually gave me some capabilities of defending myself against it. Not that defending is, is the right is the right word to use here, but but that you there was a certain protection allowed when it said don't don't worry about the mortal. Um, uh, worry is not helpful for anything. Look at the mortal and understand that it's not true and then shore that up with what is true. And what is the reality? Mm. I don't know whether it's it's possible to learn metaphysical healing here. I don't think it is. Um, it's not a complete exegesis of what I learned when I went through class instruction in Christian science. But there is a kind of gate that opens. It's an old, flimsy, non-gate that appears to be a gate, but it just falls away in your hands. Mm. So it's... <clears throat> It that's the trans that's the transition that
1: happens, but it does not happen like a thunderclap. Immediately preceding um, your attending the Christian Scientist uh, classes, you'd had the experience with the yogi who sort of put you on the spot by saying, "This guy can heal you." Yeah, that kind of just seems like almost like a, a. cosmic, uh, prescient, uh, episode. I don't know the fact that that was possibly close to the last straw that you had with, with, you know, being part of that scene. I don't know. Like how, 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 did, how do you, how did those two relate to each other? Or did you, did you, um, you know, ponder the, the connection between those two things?
2: Well, I don't know that I've, uh, I've completely got your question, but I, but I think, <clears throat> What you're talking about is uh, is the understanding, gaining the understanding that it takes to create this edifice of uh, spirituality in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the wrong way to say it. You don't create the edifice. You realize the edifice. You see it. And you think, oh, that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> That comes very slowly. That has come very slowly, and it has not come. It has not come with the whirlwind. It's not in the. It's not in the drama. It's in the peace. It's in the still small voice. And I don't know how you gain that. A lot. Of, a lot of that comes uh, uh, if if I. Well, what are the? You can you can put mortal mind into into strains uh strains such as high effort um of uh, trying to find the truth but it will never find it because it is mortal the mortality will never find immortality because when and if it does and it always does what disappears is mortality and in its place appears spirituality and the truth of being. But it's different every single time you do it. You don't find the break in the wall, make it through the wall, meet Tom, meet Janie, take over the cabin from him, and become a guide in this new world. That doesn't happen in any place other than in the book The Prison. And uh, it, 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 is, it is the same myth that Joseph Campbell uncovered, the same myth we all tell each other the same story. Mm. And it is a continuing, continuous mythological sense of existence that is not true. And therefore, because it's not true, uh, presents itself as the biggest lie, which is bondage. Mm -hmm. You're stuck. You're immortal. You can only do this. If you try to breathe underwater, you'll die. If you try to walk through through fire, you'll be barbecued. It's not going to work. The only thing that you and I can do is in the stillness of our communion with a divine intelligence, begin to understand that that is our intelligence.
1: I suppose what I meant by that question uh, was, um, well, first off, did you go back to— uh Babaji. Oh yeah, Babaji. Okay.
2: Das Baba. No. Well you mean after the uh, you can heal or he this, this man Yeah, yeah. Did
1: uh, you ever go back and say what 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 did you expect me to do there? Or um
2: uh, no, I knew I it was all very clear to me when I got up and left. Mm-hmm. You know, these people needed something that I may have um, had a sense of, but nothing I could impart. Okay. And I I know are suspected from reading uh, the all the way every myth that i could find including every teaching that i could find all pointed to the same thing when you go through the wall and understand there is no wall it's not connected it's Mm -hmm. not a wall it doesn't keep us from gaining our true sense of self and our true identity as an offspring, or a child, or an idea of infinite mind, when it gives way to the truth of those things, there's really nothing left that needs to be decided. You're just there, and it's just a fact.
1: Oh, why the uh, why the French translation in the book?
2: Um, <clears throat> a couple of things.
1: One is that uh,
2: Eddie. Asked for her books to be translated, so I thought, well, follow her in on that, because I, I like the idea of there being more than one language and more than one way of expressing the same idea. <clears throat> I knew these ideas would were very subtle, that uh, while they may not be complex and technically difficult, they required things of you and me that we don't ordinarily do, which is be quiet be still, listen, listen, listen. It's constantly, this truth is constantly appearing to you and me. And it lifts us out of a history of sorrow, of pain, of sickness, of everything evil that mortal mind brings to us. And in doing that, you know, it it redeems itself and demonstrates its value.
1: I have... I think three more questions that I'd love to ask. Um, All right, let's go. Let's do it. Let's see. Um, we were so, unpacking laughter. Where did we get? Right, we and, that? Uh, and, and I think uh, yeah, there was um, just one, one more uh, reference to that Zigzag Magazine uh, interview. You tell the story about how you had just been um, reading uh, – Looking at a photo in Billboard magazine of um, of some some newly signed artist who was like really you know crazy looking uh, posing with his label exec, and uh, and how you can see the disdain each one has for each other. At the same time, you were looking at that, um, the radio was on, and they were reporting the story about uh, Graham Parsons' um, uh, coffin being stolen and, and burned in, in the Joshua Tree Desert. Um, and how those two uh, sense inputs created uh, this picture in your mind of the end of, of, uh, of rock and roll or the end of like an era of music. Country Um,
2: rock. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, or or just, just like the fact that you were looking at, uh, you know, some brand new up and coming artist that was being hyped while hearing a story about, you know, Graham Parsons, uh, dying and sudden and, and and this you know both That's of them, what
2: you're saying okay go ahead yeah like,
1: okay. both stories being outrageous in their own ways and it creating this picture in your mind of you know of uh yeah the end of an era um and it just made me sort of think about there's the the two simultaneous sense input things create, creating a third a third thing um but it's just sort of like a uh interesting real-life example of that that was you know a, a habit of yours
2: well that's interesting Brian I mean you're one of the few people that I've talked to that that's on this page and it's and it's legit mm-hmm. you have you have the spirit of it and and you're right about it uh, I don't I don't remember the exact information that was embedded in those uh, in those thoughts but uh, it, it, there was a um, uh, oh, what's the word? It was an irony that was revealed there mm-hmm. that, I, that I latched onto. Yeah. No! There's so much meat at this point, pal. I know my grass. I am not an advocate of, of the use of drugs, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think it's a it's a good idea because mortals are dealing with enough as it is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we're given a drug by a friend who who means well, but it doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you you find yourself struggling even further. And a lot of times drugs come into our life just because it's a recreation. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, let's stop here and have a couple of margaritas. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with smoking dope and with all these other things. Where it goes wrong is when it becomes causal. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea, oh, I can cook my brain if I smoke a little of this weed. Um, That's not exactly true because that's not our brain. Mm -hmm. And what we uncover from that is that it's a lot, it being the search for freedom, is a lot more complex than it first appears. I mean, it looks like. When you get transferred into the prison, (laughs) that place is a prison. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's got a nice uh, library and it's got a nice lunchroom and things that prisons don't have. But it's still a prison. Mm -hmm. And we all fall into that because we're mortal. Mm -hmm. The mortality is the prison that we're uh, up against. And to find out that mortality is not true, that it is not a thing, just rearranges everything from the moonshot to, uh, you know, our first day at school in first grade. It's uh, that, those passages that we go through are not, um, not things that we need to be afraid of because they, they, we just pass through them, Mm. just go through it. And a lot of that happens in the prison itself. Jason just, you know, takes the walk but it's not a perp walk. <laughs> it's a, it's a walk to
1: freedom. Do you think that, um, you know, when I, when I listed the, uh, other musical folks from, from that time, uh, I guess one of the big differences, as you mentioned, is that at that time you weren't, you know, selling records and, and, you know, filling houses and stuff and that it was probably easier for you to, accept that insight about the prison, you know, know, rather than if you were selling millions of records and, uh, if, if, if your prison was, did have an, you know, deluxe, uh, jacuzzi in it and uh, all that stuff, um, that for those folks who were selling, you know, selling out everywhere and stuff like that, they were probably like, well, I'm in prison. So what? It's nice, you know?
2: Yeah, well, you bring to mind a story uh, that was told to me by a very dear friend, a close friend. She called up one morning in tears, and she said, oh, my God, you're okay. I'm so glad I had the most horrible dream about you. And I said, well, what? And she said, well, I dreamed that you were by yourself all alone in this crummy motel, probably somewhere down in Santa Monica, and that you died. Mm -hmm. And that nobody knew that you died uh, for a long time. And I kept trying to get everybody to say, to get people to recognize that you had made that transition and that that you were alone. And when I realized you were alone, I just burst into tears and I've been waiting for the sun to come up so I could call you because I just wanted to make sure that you were still alive, not in some, you know, dreadful place where you had gone off, you know, checked out on your own. Uh, that would be just that would be more than I could handle, and I said, "Well, Don, it depends on the hotel." <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and nice. She laughed. She laughed. And I laughed because, of course, it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it depends on the hotel. Right. <laughs> if you're talking about j- jacuzzis and and good drugs and great sex, and you're not going to get any and, and for free, you know, no rent. <laughs> Nobody's gonna check out of that hotel. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but that's not the hotel. That's mm-hmm. not it. That, you know, that's a mask and mm-hmm. makes it look really great, but it ain't. Mm-hmm. And and all of us feel that because all of us can recount some terrible moment that has just reduced us to weeping and pain and loss. And in a way, that's what the prison story is about. It's that those horrible, mortal things don't ever really happen. Now, that's not going to do you a lot of good unless you can get the logic in back of it. Why doesn't it ever really happen? It's because God, infinite mind, is all. There's no other mind. There's no other power. There's nothing else but the allness of God. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case... Then there can be no evil. Now, that's a theodicy that's very hard for people to, lock, to get their heads around, but it is a final answer. Because if there is no evil, then there we jolly well are. As uh, what's his name used to say? Who was the guy that said, There we jolly well are? Uh, when you get to it and you can't do it, uh, Lord Buckley. Oh. When you get to it and you can't do it, then there you jolly well are. <laughs> and and it's uh, uh it is it, it, it the the pain and the sorrow that comes from mortality is part of mortality and we are on our way out and just because it's the way out doesn't mean it's easy what it means is it's that it's the way out and as long as you have that as long as you realize then when the moment comes, when you say, well, out of where? And the divine answer comes from your guardian angel, says, you're not in anywhere. You're not stuck. There is nothing to leave, nothing to run from, nothing to be afraid of. You're not on the way out of anything. You are already where you have been made to be and where you will be throughout eternity. And that in my estimation, is the kingdom of heaven. That's where we all want to live. Or I should say, that's where I want to live. So I I go about that, you know, and I don't take a, I don't drink a margarita or, t- or drop any acid or, or go drive a car recklessly fast without the search for that space. Mm-hmm. What a party, oh <laughs> God. Boy, gender, can I have a margarita for the, my wife's fire? No, I'm serious. Bring me a margarita. No, I can't. You. Oh.
1: Have there been um, times in your life, or you know, uh, that the that belief system felt uh, harder to um, embrace than others? Oh
2: yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, <clears throat> for me. It's always been arduous, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, how did I get here? How can I get out? And everything comes very real. You know, um, about a year ago now, I had this open heart surgery done, and I was so grateful for these doctors because, you know, what they basically do is they cut you open in the middle and dump everything out on a table, and you know, wash it off and clean up and put it all back mm-hmm. <laughs> and put it all back. And if stuff some of it's you know bent or broken or needs fixing, they'll replace it with pig guts. <laughs> <laughs> which, which just the, the notion of it is funny, but these guys are great. They're so good. And I went into this, this experience without really knowing that I had, uh, I had triggered this somehow. I just didn't know. But my ex, Victoria, called up just, oh, my God, this is horrible, you know, blah, 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 blah. And everybody did more or less, you know, some variation on that kind of thing but i have to tell you that it was the most peaceful easy transition i was only down for a few days mm. and and i and i bounced up totally normal i'm 100% normal now mm. uh, can perform and yeah. i don't want to unpack the the notions of uh, christian science or metaphysics on this but i was working very closely with a with a, a good christian science practitioner and uh, it ultimately just it ultimately just vanished. But the passage, as I look back on it now, you know, and I and I hate to say this, so I'm very careful, but it was salutary. And now that's not meaning that I'm going to run up to people I don't know and say, "Hey, man, you want to get get ahead? You should have open heart surgery." <laughs> that was really great for me. I mean, that's where a lot of me and a lot of these uh, gurus, you know, uh, part ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if the, if the guru hasn't got a theodicy that destroys evil, well, I'm already past that. I got one. You mm-hmm. know, Christian science has fixed that for me. I don't need to be worrying about that. And if it is true that evil, that mortality is not real, then we're way ahead of the game that we think we're playing. Mm-hmm. And that's what, if anything, that's what I would like the prison to represent until it turns into yellowed pages blowing in the desert wind.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, like, like when I listen to the prison, I hear, um, you know, because it's your voice and because it's, uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, I see you more of, uh, of the Tom than the Jason. Mm-hmm. Okay. But <clears throat> You know, then suddenly, you know reading um, reading Infinite Tuesday um, and your you know life around that time, it's like, oh, well, he was much more the, the Jason character, obviously. Um, but uh, the fact that you know you're the one on the record, you're the one in, in the, uh, you know, the the jury Lane recordings on stage in front of a couple thousand people t- telling the story you assume that okay so this is Tom and he's got it all figured out. Um, do you think that had you had you presented yourself the artist as more of the Jason character than the Tom character um, if um, there would have been a better reception or more understanding or more um, uh, more oh he's one of us rather than he's got it all figured out. Well, I think I, I, I certainly take the point of the
2: question. Here's, here's what happened in kind of during that time and about the time I decided to write The Prison. Because one of the first things I came across was this book's been written as it's been written many, many times. You're not writing one thing new here, yeah. and you're not going to turn on somebody that's not turned on. What you might do is you might reveal the open breach in the prison door, but that's not going to get you anywhere. You got to go through it and got to make the thing. Or I say, it, it gets you only a little ways down the path. And <clears throat> what this told me was that you live in the eternal present. That sounds tautological, but it's not. It's profound because that is where we live. That's what's happening as you and I talk. And it's what happening where I'm sitting and where you're sitting or standing. And it's, it's, it is the truth of being is now and only now. And the eternal present is something that the gurus talk about, that the Bible talks about. It's in every spiritual teaching that there is. And when it occurred to me that I'm only going to be able to write this book from the present, then all the characters opened up as you know a free ball. It mm-hmm. can be anything they want to be, do anything you want to do. You don't have to do anything. And it was, in a way, I think it was the muse lifting a, a constriction or a restraint from me. They said, "No, go write it, man. Go write it the way you're feeling it, and the way, write it the way you're living it, and writing it for what it is. Because the people who need what's in here, and by the way, there aren't anybody that needs it." But the people who seem to think they need it will get it. They'll understand it instantly. And, you know, my talks with you have been uh, heartwarming in a way, Brian, because I know that you get a lot of this. You were puzzled by a bunch of it. Mm. But I can tell by the questions that you ask that you understand a great deal of it. But it was that moment where I realized, oh, it's always and only here and always and only now. And this here and now. The title of the book, Be Here Now, Mm -hmm. is the place that you live whether you want to or not. And what is happening is you're starting to understand the gladness and the laughter and the perfection of the eternal present. And the more that comes into your thinking and the more you live it and the more you practice it to the degree that you can, the more you will realize this great joy That is beyond all mortal limits, beyond death, beyond Mm. birth, beyond everything. It's always and only here. Do you and I know what is always and only now? Well, a little. But we don't know it the same way we know our name, or we know our neighbor, or we know where to get a good hamburger. We don't know it that way. And what happens to us, I think, is happening to me is that continuous opening awareness of the ever presence of eternal, infinite, immortal, spiritual truth. Mm. And when that dawns on us, the world is right. Mm. Best that I can do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Best I can do. Uh, I'm just about off the end of the pier here. Brian, any more for me or what's going on?
1: No, I I think that's about it.
2: Um, Well, it was a great conversation. You know, I'm very serious and that I enjoy talking to you as much as I enjoy talking to anybody that is into the work because mm -hmm. I'm into the work the same way you are, trying to figure out where is this stuff coming from. And it's it's fascinating to me that how it impacts. It empowers me, and I'm—I see how it empowers you, and its its a—it's—it's uh, it, it's gladdening to me, and it's—it's happyifying. So I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot.
1: Maybe this is uh, glib, but um, uh, I feel like the original version of, of the prison is just kind of like ripe for um, reevaluation and acceptance by, um, you know, sort of like the, the hipsters who discover obscure albums from the 60s and 70s. And then suddenly, <laughs> there's, there, suddenly there's a cover story. You know, yes, uh, I take your point. I take your point. Well, and, here's <clears throat> go ahead. Sorry, oh, and 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 I know that that is just uh, you know, based upon um, you know, it's like, like dig this, like he was he was doing drum machine and harp, and like, like you know, what, <laughs> like, what, what yeah. was Bo, like Bowie's stuff at the time sounds like traditional rock compared to that, you know, yeah, um, and uh, um, but I say that whatever the uh, you know. at even though I can't wrap my head around, um, you know, half of the concepts, uh, I try every single time that I that I listen to it. You know, I'm, I'm not just saying like dig that drum machine. Um, you know, it seems like every every with every listen, another thing occurs to me. And, well, yeah. well, here's here's one of the things that I do with the prison.
2: If I'm taking a car trip, I'll play it. The prison's, mm-hmm. what, an hour and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to pass road time. It's also a great way to listen to it without having to study it or listen to it. It just plays in the background. Mm-hmm. The music is really good. I love the music. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, had, I've had the finest musical minds tell me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so that makes me feel great. And, I, and it, if you're just listening to the music and you're just letting it play as you drive along – it it creates something in my head and heart that is very much what it is about. But that is something that is ineffable still for me. I don't know how to do that. I can just live that. And when I live it, I feel something of a reprobate or something, you know, somebody who's not practicing and not getting baptized and not getting my head shaved and all that stuff. And I think, well, maybe I'm not doing it right. Mm -hmm. And I have to come back to the, no, it's right. It's right. And it's correct now. And it's always been correct. And it's going to be correct long after this phone call. And -hmm. just stay right there and drive to wherever you're driving, which incidentally has been to Marfa, Texas, which has been a thrill. So what you're driving, uh, going to Marfa, Marfa, Texas, right? And doing that stuff with uh, John Cerny. Anyway, I think we
1: beat this to death. Yes. Beat it into life. It was fun. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for the hour turning into two hours. Yeah.
2: And it's always a a joy to talk to you, Brian. Call me anytime.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Nez. Okay, partner. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: And deliver as complete. Place. unspoken friends.